Hi, I'm Lynn. And I'm Jan. Welcome to the Lamplighters Podcast. Lamplighters is a community that encourages women to grow in our faith through the study of God's Word. And we are grateful to be on the journey with you this year as we travel through the Psalms. Now, before spring break two weeks ago, we took a look at conflict and judgment. And this week, we are turning to confession and forgiveness. So what do you have for us, Lynn? Well, I think for many people, this lesson was probably one of the easier ones to understand because if you identify as a Christian, it's something that you hear about a lot. (laughs) And should be doing. Yes, exactly. Um, Psalms 51 and 130 are great examples of what it looks like to confess and why we do it. First, I want to point out that it's confession and forgiveness in that order. This is crucial. Mm. In most cases, you cannot be forgiven for something you haven't confessed. And I say in most cases because I do realize that sometimes in life, you have to just forgive someone without them ever asking to be forgiven so that you can move on with your life. But that's not what I'm talking about here today. Mm. What I'm talking about today is our relationship with our Creator and what it looks like for us to come back to Him after we have strayed. Okay, so it's confession and God's forgiveness That's right. that we're talking about. That's okay. right. So I have mentioned before that I was born with a stubborn streak a mile wide. Now, hopefully, I've chiseled it down somewhat over my lifetime, but I can still remember vividly incidents in my childhood when I let it control me. Mm. I shared a room with my older sister, And while we are best friends now, that was not always the case. (laughs) I have a very clear memory of being punished because I had refused to admit something I had done to her. And more importantly, I had refused to ask for her forgiveness. (laughs) Now, I don't remember exactly what it was because this probably happened more than once. But I can remember that my argument was, She knows I didn't mean it, and she knows that I'm sorry. Now, not exactly a sincere apology. I was too prideful to admit my mistake. And there is a part of confession that requires looking clearly at yourself and acknowledging Mm -hmm. your wrongdoing. It's vital in this process. We have to acknowledge our wrongdoing and confess it with clarity, specificity, before we can ask for forgiveness. So, Jan, I have a question for you. Have you noticed how quickly people say, I'm sorry, these days? Well, since my experience is that most people seem to think they are always right, and they hold on to their actions or their words, uh, I'm not sure I understand what you're asking. (laughs) All right. Well, start paying attention to it, and I think you'll be surprised. I am not talking about a sincere apology here of someone you are in relationship with. What I'm talking about is the apology you get from someone, even a stranger, that is totally unnecessary. Mm. Apology in air quotes. It really doesn't mean anything because Mm. it's become sort of a polite, reflexive, almost expected response. Mm -hmm. I think in some ways what it has done is it it has taken the place of a simple excuse me. Mm. I think to say I'm sorry should be much more significant than that. I certainly think there should be something specific that you're apologizing for at the very least. I think you get the idea that I find it silly. (laughs) And at 
the very least, and even irritating when it's an inappropriate response. I have even gone gone so far as to ask, what are you sorry for? (laughs) And gotten a blank stare back. Yeah, I can only imagine. (laughs) But I know what you mean now. I'm sorry has become sort of a throwaway phrase that has lost its meaning. Right, right. That's not what we're going to talk about today. Oh, excellent. While true confession is part apology, it's more about looking inward. It's about reflecting on what you've done and truly understanding that you don't ever want to do it again. Mm. It is a self-awareness that pushes you to ask to be forgiven. It's about true sorrow and really not being able to live with what you've done until you've confessed it and been forgiven. It's not just about feeling badly about something you've said or done and honestly hoping it just gets brushed over. Mm -hmm. It's more about taking the time to acknowledge your actions internally. But beyond that, taking that extra step to verbally communicate what you have said or done and then asking for forgiveness. You know, I think as children, everyone at one time or another was made by one of their elders usually, to say, <laughs> I'm sorry to someone. And it usually came out something like, sorry. Yeah, you know, exactly. that Which tone, you know you didn't yes, mean. You know, that tone is clearly, you know, indicates that you aren't serious about what you're apologizing for. <laughs> um, in stark contrast to that is the feeling you get if you've ever received a heartfelt apology. My husband is so good at this. Mm. In that case, you may not have even heard the words, I'm sorry, but instead a review of what was done and why it was unacceptable behavior and why they don't want to do it again. Mm -hmm. It makes all the difference in the world. Uh, That's absolutely right. Um, A very wise woman told me when my kids were little to teach my children to say, I was wrong instead of I'm sorry. Yeah. Because I'm sorry lets you duck out from the responsibility of your actions when you say, I was wrong to do X, Y, Z, that means you've understood mm-hmm. that the action was hurtful to someone or even to yourself, mm-hmm. but certainly to God. Yeah. So you own up to your actions, and then you can truly ask for forgiveness. Yeah. Okay, well, enough about me and my social experiments. Um, <laughs> let's take a look at how David handles these topics of confession and forgiveness in Psalm 51. We are looking at a time in David's life when he has really gone off the rails. Oh, sin compounding sin. Yes, yes. He has committed adultery and even had a man murdered to try and hide what he has done. Hmm. He has deliberately done things that have caused him to cross over a line for which even the law did not provide atonement. Hmm. And it's very important here to recognize that David doesn't come to this acknowledgement on his own. The prophet Nathan visited King David and told him about the Lord's disapproval and displeasure with him. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I remember correctly, Nathan told David a story. Mm -hmm. It was a parable, which instantly convicted David. If you want all the details, you can read it in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. But it just points out the fact that the Holy Spirit sometimes works through people in these instances. Yeah, and that's an important lesson that we don't have time for today. Um, but I hope everyone take a, to look at it, mm-hmm. take time to look at it. So Psalm 51 is the result of this confrontation with Nathan. David was made to realize that he had abused his power as king 
and in doing so dishonored God's law. He knew his sin was against God, and he also regarded God as the only one who could forgive him. Look at how David approaches God by first focusing on who God is, then on what David Mm. had done. You know, even when he's coming to God in confession, David's first focus is on God above everyone and everything else. That's a great lesson. Mm -hmm. Well, it also makes our need for confession more obvious. Yeah. So all of our sins have a ripple effect. Sin is never just between us and the person we've sinned against because all sin is first and foremost against God. And we see David admit that in verse four, Mm -hmm. against you, you only have I sinned. Now, we know that technically that's not true because a marriage was destroyed and a man was killed. However, in committing those sins, David broke the commands of God. And that's why these sins at their very base level were against God. As all sin is. Yes. Yeah. You know, everyone is capable of committing great sins. And I don't want to breeze over that statement because it's a cautionary one. If you can look at other people and say, I would never do that, you don't know yourself very well. (laughs) You're lying to yourself. (laughs) So let's remember who David is, just as a point, just to prove that point. He is a man chosen by God to lead God's chosen people, the Israelites, a man God called one after his own heart, and the man who committed adultery and murder. Mm -hmm. Now, if God's chosen one, who we have learned over and over again through these Psalms, had a true heart for God, can do what he did, why should we think we're immune? Mm. And David's not the only one who messes up either. We see it all throughout Scripture. It's actually very comforting to me. For example, (laughs) look at Paul, often called the greatest apostle, who when he was Saul before his transformation— ravaged the early Christian church as a Pharisee. I mean, his his intent every day was to see how many Christians he could kill. Mm-hmm. And he even oversaw the stoning death of Stephen. Yeah, it is comforting um, when these greats of the faith, yeah. we see their humanness. We see, their, we see them stumble, we, yeah. We see that in Moses. Moses directly disobeyed God by striking a rock to provide water to God's people instead of speaking to it. Mm-hmm. Now, that seems like a really little thing. But actually, in Moses' pride, he was disregarding God's word. And what he did was he damaged an image of Christ as the rock. Yeah. Well, and he thought he had a better way to do it. (laughs) His way was going to be better than what God told him to do. Of course. But as a result, he was barred from entering the promised land. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, there's Peter, one of my favorites, who always seems to have his foot in his mouth. He actually tempted Jesus to abandon his mission. Yeah. Now, I'm sure he didn't see it that way. No. But that's what he did. And Jesus' immediate and harsh rebuke showed the depth of Peter's sin, his desire to be in control instead of God being in control. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Mm. That is very dramatic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not to mention Peter's sin of denying Christ three times during the night before his death. You can find it all over Scripture. We are human after all. That's why we need Jesus. So if we all sin, which we all do, what do we do about it? Well, first of all, sin must be confronted and confessed. David, in confession of this truly egregious sin, 
worshiped the Lord and asked God to cleanse him. He asked that his sin be blotted out. And that means to obscure, um, make insignificant or inconsequential, to wipe out, to destroy. He's not asking that it be forgotten. David knows there is a price to pay for what he's done. But he knows that our God is righteous. And our God cannot see sin and just pretend that it didn't happen. Mm. So David instead asks to be cleansed from his sins. Now, Warren Wearsby says that dirt is to the body what sin is to the soul. And a great image. Yeah, I get that correlation because dirt isn't just something that looks bad. If it's not washed away or cleansed, as as David is asking for, it can truly make you sin, Mm. make you sick. And that's what sin does to our souls. If it's not blotted out and washed away, it poisons our souls and it hardens our hearts. And then who can heal us? Mm. You know, only God. So David admits his sin to God. Then he asks to be brought back into right relationship with God. He asks God to bring him back because he knows that's the only way it will happen. This Mm. is out of David's hands. David cannot bring himself back to God. God has to let him come back. So look at verse 17. David knows there is nothing he can sacrifice that is greater than his own broken spirit and contrite heart. Even a burnt offering could not wash away David's sin. Only true repentance is acceptable. And I think it's important here to see this as, you know, possible foreshadowing of the sacrifice Jesus made to cover our sins. Only the blood of Jesus could cover our sins. Our salvation was a very costly transaction. But in that transaction, Jesus canceled our debt. Mm-hmm. It's helpful to remember that when you're faced with confession. Yeah. Um, I think confession is hard. I think it requires the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, first of all, because we can, and frankly, we usually do, mm-hmm. deceive ourselves about the state of our hearts and our minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, But the Spirit will dig deep and bring things to light. He will examine us Mm -hmm. and bring things up that we would prefer to keep shut in a dark lock closet, right? right? So the first step in confession for me is to yield to the Spirit's examination, to ask for it, ask to be searched Mm -hmm. by God. And conviction is a gift. Um, Then... Once I'm convicted, I can lay whatever the Spirit reveals at the foot of the cross to be covered by Jesus' sacrifice. And I do this verbally. There's something about articulating out loud my sin that makes it more real to me, and it makes it more obvious that I need to confess and be cleansed. I write mine down so I can actually see it. Because, yeah, Yeah. it just makes it real. makes it concrete in a way that just keeping it inside does not. Right. I want to interject something that I think is important here. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is different than grinding guilt, okay? It's that the purpose of conviction is to bring us to the point of confession and repentance. So it's usually quick, deep, and obvious, like a surgeon's scalpel. No doubts about it. The enemy, on the other hand, uses that grinding, nagging guilt to entangle us in ourselves so that confession and repentance goes nowhere. Mm -hmm. So we just keep repeating the same sins, real or imagined, Mm -hmm. over and over again, and nothing ever changes. Now, 
I'm not saying that the spirit doesn't use subtle niggling pressure that doesn't go away, because at times he does. But if the spirit is acting on your heart and your conscience, the movement is going to always be toward confession. Yeah, Um, I agree. And I would add that I think that that grinding guilt you were talking about is actually shame. And I've said before that I don't think shame is from God, but it's from the enemy. Mm. Uh, The famous shame researcher, Brene Brown, (laughs) who I love, defines the two words this way. Shame is a focus on self. Guilt is a focus on behavior. Mm -hmm. Shame is I am bad. Guilt is I did something bad. So we are God's creation. So how can we be bad? We can do bad. On the other hand, (laughs) yes, it's very easy for us to do bad things. I've heard the guilt of sin described as low-level chronic pain. Only when it's removed by confession, then healed by forgiveness, do you realize how much joy and life it was draining out of you. Mm -hmm. You get used to it. Yeah, you Don't let the guilt of sin destroy you. Instead, confess it and let God destroy the sin with his forgiveness. Mm. And that's the forgiveness part of this lesson. God's forgiveness means that your sins have been removed and restoration with him has taken place. By God's gracious gift of forgiveness through Christ, any wrong you have done is not held against you. That's a miracle. What an incomprehensible gift we've been given here. There is no trouble so great that we are cut off from God if we confess it to him. Jesus made sure of that when he took it all on for us. This is a very serious thing not Mm -hmm. to be taken lightly. We can't just run around doing whatever we want because we know we'd be forgiven. That's not what this is about. (laughs) No, True recognition of our sin should bring us to our knees. And it's only when we've been brought down like that that we will confess. And then God's forgiveness and mercy can lift us back up off of our knees and put us on our feet again on the path he has chosen for us. That's right. Forgiveness is costly. Mm -hmm. It costs God the life of his son. There is um, absolutely no cheap grace here, as Bonhoeffer said. But forgiveness is also freedom and joy because we no longer have to carry the burden for what we we did. Um, We are forgiven by our Heavenly Father, and that means He has removed our sin from us as far as the East is from the West, as the psalmist says in 103. Forgiveness is true grace, for we do not deserve it. Mm -hmm. But it's even better than that, Lynn, because not only does God forgive us— and restore us to relationship with him because we have been forgiven, we can extend that grace to other people. We no longer have to go around collecting what is owed us because, you know, when people hurt us, they actually owe us something, right? right? Right. We don't have to be debt collectors anymore when Mm -hmm. we've been injured Mm -hmm. because we have no debt to pay back to God. That has been canceled. So forgiveness from God to us has a ripple effect. The same way sin sin does. does. Exactly. It ripples outward and impacts others Mm -hmm. if we just let it. Okay. All right. Well, there's one more side of forgiveness that I want to look at today, and that is acceptance of our forgiveness. That's sometimes so hard. It really is. Um, But we honor God when we accept His forgiveness. Now, what do I mean by that? Mm -hmm. 
Have you ever done something that you think is unforgivable? Yep. You know, something that tears you up, leaves you feeling so ashamed that you think you are not worthy of being forgiven. There's that word shame again. Mm -hmm. By not accepting his forgiveness, you are not honoring him. Think of what he did to give us that forgiveness. Mm. He sent his son to cover our sin. And there is nothing more that we can do to earn it ourselves. If you think there is something that you can do that's greater than what Jesus has already done for you, then you've got this whole thing wrong. What you're saying is you're bigger than Jesus. That's right. And that's, in effect, what you're saying. Yeah. You think you're unworthy of forgiveness, that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough. So quit beating yourself up and insulting God in the process. I think it's interesting. It's really, for me, when this happens, it's definitely pride that has snuck oh, sure. in. And that's something that needs to be confessed. Let your soul be restored and renewed so that you can be used for God's glory. God's forgiveness brings peace and joy. Not accepting his forgiveness brings bitterness, and it can even harden your heart. It's not about us and what we've done. It's about God's grace and mercy and what that means to us and for us. Mm. Remember, his mercy is his act of withholding the punishment that we deserve while his grace is the undeserved favor and unmerited kindness he gave us in our eternal salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, doesn't that feel good? Oh, absolutely. You know, getting us mired in guilt and shame is the enemy's tactic. Yes. You know, if God says we are forgiven, we can take him at his word. One of my favorite verses is 1 John 1, 9, that says, If we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Mm. By not accepting Christ's sacrifice and forgiving, we are saying we know better than God. And as a friend of mine said, Jen, no one died and left you Holy Spirit. Right. In other words, I don't know better than God. Right. He knows. Okay, so this brings us to Psalm 130. All right, let's do it. I want us to explore this psalm as a model for prayer in seeking this restored relationship with God after we've sinned. Mm. Persevering prayers are what lead us to confession and God's forgiveness. You know, I feel like I'm never closer to God than when I'm in prayer. It's only when I'm feeling closely connected to Him that I can pour my heart out to Him. Mm -hmm. I'm not only confessing what I've done, which is an integral part of it, but I'm confessing who I know him to be. Mm. That is true confession. It's more about him than about me. And isn't that always the truth? It's always more about God than it is about us. Mm -hmm. All through scripture, God shows us what he can do for people who cry out to him. Faith is being confident in what God has promised. And he has promised that confession leads to forgiveness. We go to God because we are confident he will forgive us. His love for us is that deep. His compassion and grace and mercy have no end. They are always there for us to receive once we've confessed. This psalm is all about going from darkness to light, 
from guilt to forgiveness, from death to life. It shows us the bridge from our sins to freedom in Christ. And that bridge is acknowledgement of sin, confession of those sins, and then restoration through Jesus Christ. It is crying out to God with complete confidence that he hears and will restore us. It's acknowledging our brokenness while praising all that God is. The the image of confession as a bridge line is very visual for mm-hmm. me, and, mm-hmm. and it really helps me to imagine moving from one of those states to the other, from darkness to light, from death to life, from guilt to forgiveness, yeah. right? uh, from separation to reconciliation, all of those things. The psalmist here clearly knows the Lord really well and values that relationship. So even though he's in the depths of some sort of spiritual crisis, he isn't wasting his time in the depths, right? He knows God is at work somehow and somewhere, and he knows his cries will be heard. And he mentions waiting, but he waits with hope. Yes, which we all can do. Waits with hope, and that image of the bridge is going to stick with me. Good. Um, Okay, it's about time to close with the question. What do you have? Well, the most obvious question here is, what do I need to confess? (laughs) Is there something that I'm stubbornly or pridefully holding on to that is separating me from God? If so, why am I not confessing it? I think that's an important question to ask that helps us move forward. Mm -hmm. And once you figure that out, confess it and then choose to accept God's forgiveness and live in the freedom of His grace and mercy. Mm -hmm. Our pastor said in a recent sermon, you can't move forward until you know where you are. Yeah. Well, that internal exploration by the Holy Spirit is knowing where you are. And confession is that bridge that you go across. So you go from knowing where you are to being where God wants you to be. Mm -hmm. Okay, until next time. 